Hello, Julian. Oh my God! Wow. How are we doing? So we finally got it together. Everyone is so like one person flying to Los Angeles, the other person working on a private thing we don't want to talk about. And but we still managed to be able to get together. Uh, and and as always, there's an infinite number of topics for startup founders to discuss. Yes. And, yeah. Please go ahead. I, I so know I, some I stuff got on your mind. So yeah, and also for for our valued listeners, mm -hmm. uh, especially the subscribers that listen mm -hmm. to us on a weekly basis, we wanted to keep the cadence going. So instead of having three, or we mm -hmm. we've tried the three and a guest, four and a guest. Yeah. We've we've tried four of us, and now we're trying two. We want to kind of keep the cadence going, mm -hmm. uh, keep the learnings coming, and so that's why it's just me and Julian today that could do yeah. this and we, we may scrap the episode because it's not good enough but hopefully it makes it <laughs> makes it on but i wanted to actually start off with mm -hmm. uh, that maybe a topic that you can't can't relate to a ton julian but like mm -hmm. yeah i think that san francisco is back oh my god i know i know <laughs> the only reason i say that is because like i'm looking at my calendar and like i'm in the city mm -hmm. so i moved out to the east bay um mm -hmm. We moved to Arinda, which is a nice little suburb right outside yep. the city. And I typically, we have an office in Oakland and I never thought I'd leave SF because it was mm -hmm. just so awesome. But through the pandemic, it was like, there was no real reason to stay. And so we moved out and I just haven't been getting a lot of meetings. We had an office there for, mm -hmm. uh, even during the pandemic, nobody's had meetings. And I just happened to be there three times this week. I had at least, I think, yes, yeah, yesterday, two VC meetings in South mm. Park in person. Wow. Um, which yeah. is, that's a pretty big thing. I'm actually, um, I'm in San Francisco next week. I forgot to tell you, and I, if you want, we'll, we'll hang out. Don't say no we on should. the podcast. That would be embarrassing. No, uh, we should. <laughs> we absolutely should. But I, I, th I think that the vibrancy and it, and I, I don't, I don't, I don't mean to just say San Francisco. I, mm -hmm. I, I hope that this means like of like tech in general in like it's also summer right with summer coming up sure and, and summer in any city will start definitely in canada obviously but in summer in any city would drive people out and all of a sudden it'll feel exciting and people will be like new restaurants let's go out no you know? san francisco is not the same way it's because it's usually mostly it's the same mm -hmm. kind of weather all year round and mm -hmm. so it, you don't I, I know because I, I lived in Montreal for a period and I remember that going from like winter to the, the first day of spring and everybody is basically like in, in their like yeah. shorts mm -hmm. and everything. You don't get that here. So it's mm -hmm. definitely a different feeling. And so what I hope, I hope that signaling is like kind of a return to like just the, the energy um, is f feeling good in San Francisco, which I hope yep. equates to the general tech kind of ecosystem which we definitely have been in a bit of a slump and we're in the I middle will, of may right now here here's my feeling though is definitely for example i'm doing investor meetings while i'm there i'm not fundraising right now but it's always good to do a few meetings and develop relationships and so on and and i will say that the the raising of a 10 million dollar round like i did in 2021 Maybe it's different. We're different. We're kind of a different type of founder. We could develop more relationships and kind of our reputation precedes us a little bit. Yeah. But I think that the likelihood of a $10 million round, maybe 20 million, for, you know, obviously the higher, the more complex, all remote is 
that doesn't feel like it's going to happen again to me. Unless a deal is shit hot, at which point anything can happen, right? Yeah. Like that AI deal that they just recently on the information talked about, they were going to do it at 350 and the guy just took the in invitations <laughs> to invest via type form. And, <laughs> and his question, I watched the video. His question was, what's your entity name and, yeah, and, what, and I'll send you my wiring instructions. What's your, what's your most, what is, what's the highest price you would be willingly, oh you would reasonably God. pay. And he got investors up to a $1 billion valuation. I'll send you the deck. It's, it's crazy. So other than situations like that, I think that relationships develop in person. Never mind the fact, like Andrew and I have known each other for years. Yeah, so and just doing it from remote, yeah. Z, yeah. Yeah, so you could see how it would happen remotely there. But but the way that that people develop relationships, especially if they're going to be on boards together, is meet space, ma'am. And I don't think that's going away, right? So so I my this is actually Andy Berman, who's not on the podcast today, but typically ends in the panel, was like, yeah, I go out and meet more people. And this investor, because you used to be a VC, and that investor are kind of they know you and they like you, go meet them. And and so this is new for me. I did it in LA recently yeah. and and I'm gonna keep doing it. I'm just gonna go kind of city to city to city. But to me, the people that that get that get to me. Yeah. Are those that are like, office is back, baby. If you're not doing office, you're not serious. And first of all, that deeply upsets me personally. Yeah, you're a remote for <laughs> you. We're opposites. Yeah, yeah. But you know that I think you you can acknowledge that all different kinds of companies can be built different ways, right? Yeah, there's of course. Like yeah. Ottawa, Ottawa is the great example. Shopify was built in Ottawa. To Toby Litke refers to it famously as like the Galapagos Islands. Yeah. As in, it's an ecosystem that I believe Darwin went was able to look at and see that evolution was happening Yeah, just in the set of islands, right? Yeah. And Zapier happened remote from, I think, not Wisconsin, but like Mississippi or something, right? These remote companies are weird companies. So companies can be built anywhere, and I get that people want to go back to the office and experience the vibrancy of the office. Right. But anyway, I'm happy that the pandemic happened because it allows different types of companies <laughs> to thrive, Don't despite the that. fact that millions of people died. Oh, my God. <laughs> For your own personal game. Please, please don't email me. The, 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 by the way, the hate mail has begun I, because, for example, it has, yeah, it has. It has. People are like, it's not real PTSD. Startup PTSD is not real PTSD. You know who you are, and I, I appreciate you listening. We do, I, we do. We know that startup we, PTSD we, we is we not watch real PTSD. Yeah, but it, but I think you've spoken openly, and I, I think I, I did too about anxiety and panic attacks and these other things that startups develop, startup founders develop as a, as a result of pulling companies from the brink of death over and over and over again. Yeah. Right. But, and also the opposite. So Andy Dunn from Bonobos actually yes. just came out with a book. Burn um, Rate. Burn Rate. Mm -hmm. So really great read. And it was all about... I actually just went to listen to him yesterday at a, a, a VC's office, mm -hmm. talk about the, his book. He's on a promo tour. And that entrepreneurs are like, it was like 
two or three times more likely to have mental health issues. Mm -hmm. So either uh, going into them. So Andy had has I think bipolar, type, type, type one, two. type two bipolar. Yeah. But everything from anxiety, panic disorders. That's what mm -hmm. I have. That's what I have. Yep. And still deal with. And that's a result of startup. <laughs> not, right. not, I didn't come in with that. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And a lot of other people come in and are an entrepreneur because they are like a certain way. Like yep. you look at, so he brought up some great examples like Kanye, right? Like, mm. is that, is, is, is he the, the creative genius because he, he has, I don't know if he's been diagnosed, but I think the, the, the kind of word on the street is he's bipolar and, yes. and you have these, these episodes where you could be super creative and all that. So mm. is, is he successful because of it? Or is, did, I don't think it actually turned him into that. But anyways, it, it was a really great read as far as like mental health and like founders and, mm -hmm. and how like Andy kind of weaved his way through that. He was in jail. He was, he did a lot. Yeah, it's, he, it's a crazy I, yeah. book. It, it is a crazy story. I read the book, I want to say last September, October or something. Yeah. And he's on a press tour for it now. And yes. Andy, just for, for context for listeners, he started Bonobos, which at the time, not today by today, startup standards. So first of all, startups aren't pants companies anymore. But during the phase where startups could be pants companies, Andy Dunn raised venture capital for Bonobos and kind of like did a new, God, I don't even, whatever, like a D to C pants company. And it was super successful yeah. and people loved it and it was hot in New York and so on. Did you do Warby Parker and Casper? Yeah, like a Warby Parker, but even less tech because... The Warby Parker, at least you could try on the glasses digitally with sure. the app or something, right? But nonetheless, it was fast growing. And and while that is happening, he is simultaneously he's get he gets put in jail and he, he like there there's places in the book where he talks about attacking people in the street. I yeah. feel weird saying this, almost like I'm accusing him of something, but he Look, says he, it in the book. Yeah, he does. Right. And he's so incredibly open. My version of this that I used to feel a lot of worry about, because I have epilepsy and I've had mm -hmm. seizures extremely infrequently. Oh, really? Since I was 16. And, and, and so that, I remember feeling like I had a secret life. Right. Then. Right. And the result is I've always been medicated, but I get medicated so I won't have seizures. Right. Right. And right. That, so I don't know that that creates mood stabilization exactly, but right. what it does create is is it it forces me to sleep a lot yeah same thing with andy actually oh right it's true he talked about that how sleep yeah. was the sleep was a stabilizer in the book yeah. and for me if i don't sleep eight hours a night first of all i immediately start to i i lose my ability to concentrate and i lose my ability to do any meaningful work and i feel terrible even at seven hours right and so so it's you know there's this book the gift of injury yeah. And it is a book about very hardcore power lifters and after how they break their spine from lifting a thousand pounds mm. from bad form, they try to get back into the sport. And the reason it's called the gift of injury is because once you discover that you're injured from bad motion patterns, you make your motion patterns perfect the second right. time around. Right. right. And so the fact that he has this weakness from the perspective of he can't sleep four hours same thing for me, the quote unquote weakness of not being able to sleep for four hours. The result is, is actually your foundation is stronger because right. you can't cut corners, right? 
Yeah, I totally agree. Actually, let, 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 let's 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 go this this way. So this is what, actually one of the questions that he got asked in in the in the book. So when he was going through all the phases of bipolar, so there's manic and and all of I can't even remember all, all of the different phases. I'm not, mm-hmm. not going to pretend to be an expert, but basically there's the one phase that like you just don't sleep at all, and you're just like you think you're you're right. basically God, and then there was a question in the audience that was that was asked is, is that v- VCs, especially your first time through, um, they kind of, or even just in the startup land in general, right? YC kind of beats this into you too. It's like, you should be working and like working 18 hour days and be like eating like nothing and spending nothing and just working on your startup. Mm-hmm. And then like second time founders or third time or whatever, they kind of, they understand the value of sleep and all of these different things. And there, there seems to be like a sea change, maybe even for like first time entrepreneurs, you you Mm -hmm. see a lot of people that are like on Twitter. Now it's like, what is your sleep score um, on the eight sleep mattress or like all, (laughs) all, all these things. And it's, it's kind of now like exercise and like taking care of yourself Mm -hmm. is rewarded. And he, he related it a lot to like being a professional athlete, right? Yes. If you are in the NBA, like you have to get your sleep. That's just part of your job. Mm-hmm. You can't, you can't not do those things. You have mm-hmm. to go exercise. You have to do all those things. And also if you're a, a founder, you have to do the same things. Like yes. you can't sleep for four hours. It's going to catch up to you. You can't think critically all those things. What are, what are your thoughts on where the startup ecosystem started and like maybe where it has came to today and maybe how it's changed as a second time founder yeah so that it's it's a really interesting question and i will say that in the early days of yc which is before it was big and when there were like 20 companies or 10 companies in a cohort right including alexis ohanian definitely paul graham and others were like, just work as hard as you possibly can. And it's actually in a Paul Graham essay where he explicitly says, your job is to work insanely hard for a short period of time so you can concentrate all of that work that you would do in 40 years into five or right. something. And, and so the division that I, I don't think that that advice is wrong, nor do I think that it will necessarily break you, but you have to have a certain level of self-awareness about what your limits are, which maybe if you're 18 years old, you don't actually don't have any. Again, right. when I was 18, I was still sleeping eight hours a night, so I'm out of the ordinary, you know, and I'm super fine with saying here, almost never drink, almost never do drugs, all these other things as, a, as foundational things, mm-hmm. which is, I hear, different from other founders. So what pre-product market fit you are on a grind path yeah. to your company dying, right? Just from having no customers. That's just the foundational reality of it. Default dead. Default dead. And so get default alive, which means eating ramen, living at your parents' house, like whatever other version of that. This is if you decide you want to start a company and if a year down the line you still want to have started your company. Now, you achieve product market fit, whatever variation of it is right for you and that external people seem to agree, right? I've got approaching a thousand customers at my thing today. 
they're all paying on a monthly basis. They're they're happy. They'll they get upsold, etc. That's product market fit. So now you're on a ten year path, not a one or two year path. Right. And this is when the slope yeah, of the curve it. changes. Yeah. yeah. The slope of the curve goes from run super fast in order to not die, and now you're like, oh, I have to keep going, and you know. So for example, I take like executive coaching discovery calls. People call me sometimes and they're like, hey, yeah. can you be my coach, et cetera? And I work with about five founders at once. Right. And t they t sometimes will ask, am I too early? Yeah. And and specifically post-product market fit, that's when it's, I've got I've to be my best version of myself. Mm -hmm. Pre-product market fit, you could be the worst version of yourself if you want, so long as it's working, kind of. Right. Well, it depends what that means. I hope that means you're putting all all your time into your business. Um, yes, I mean, I mean, yeah. you're cut. You're you're eating. You're eating terribly. You're probably gaining weight. Right. You you sit, and this is especially true if you are the person that's writing code, the ideal startup founder that is both kind of a good salesperson and also able to write code. Yeah. And finding customers. So. You know, they I, people. I, I think people just develop. They look at the Elon Musk and Keith Ruboy is always giving this advice. You just got to work hard. Yes, you do have to work hard. It's true. You it do. is harder than a job. Yes, right. But that being said, don't kill yourself for this. Stay, stay on the path that gets you to the other side. So long as it's growing, I guess. Yeah. I guess I should. That's actually. It's not even pre or post product market fit. Is is it growing fast or is it not growing fast? Right, because it's growing because, fast. Yeah. yeah. Right. Good. Yeah, I would I would say because there there are going to be different things that happen to your company that like maybe you you thought you had. I'll use my example from ship. I thought I had product market fit, mm -hmm. and I definitely did relax. Like I got an assistant. Like I got a COO. I was like definitely not working as hard as I was when I was like coding and yeah. like doing pickups and like packaging boxes and like all that stuff. Yeah to get to like where we could scale. But then the company all of a sudden, it's like, we don't have it anymore. So it's then you got to go back into the That's mode it. of grinding. And so sometimes you kind of, it, it's, if you don't have super strong, and which is why it's even just the idea of product market fit is you have it or you don't, it's, it, it kind of changes. Cause also like mm -hmm. the, the industry evolves, you have competitors that come yep. up. And mm -hmm. so it's not like you just need to like, it's a one or a zero and it just stays on like that. Yep. It's like you need to continuously be developing and improving your product and pleasing your customers and doing all those things. Mm -hmm. And then I'd say that taking care of yourself when it makes the most sense. Like mm -hmm. when, when you say gaining weight and stuff like that, yeah, yeah. when you are super stressed out, like you're, you're going to have to have something to like maybe yes. take the edge off and i would say that probably drugs are the worst thing you could do alcohol would probably be the second worst and eating right. would probably be like the least worst i guess maybe there's um, gambling don't forget gambling you could <laughs> i don't know how gambling fits into any of that but yeah it, it's definitely not like a, a one or a zero but you definitely do as for me i, I i've realized that how important like sleep is like sleep okay is a superpower it, it truly is, this, is. sleep is your, and exercise is this a recent realization yeah after i started getting a lot of anxiety 
panic attacks. I started realizing that I'm, I just, I'm not the same. I'm getting older. I'm approaching yep. 40 and mm-hmm. you just exercise is not, it, it's, it's not anymore to look good. It's like to keep your mental sanity. Right. And same thing with eating well as, as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sometimes you, you do go and you're a super stressed out mode and you're just eating like shit. And like, I've definitely went through that in the last like year like bouts and like a couple of shake shacks a, a week or something like that, which I don't, you may not even know what the hell I'm talking about, but it's a burger company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think that, that there definitely has been a sea change in founders giving the, them all and from, from a, a number of different ways. I think that more funding mm-hmm. actually has forced founders to be less scrappy. So before, when you saw like the Airbnb rounds of what did, what did they raise? It was like six hundred k, six hundred k in their seed. I love right? it. Yeah, they they didn't have a choice. Like everybody had to do something. There was yep. there was no employees they could have. Mm-hmm. Where now, even somebody going to YC, even say if they're in the top ten percent, mm-hmm. they're going to be able to raise five million bucks, and like sure. they they could raise a team around them. That mm-hmm. they they really don't actually need to do any of the the real work. Yeah, they they could actually not be in on any customer calls and all of that. And so I think it definitely that has changed. But also I think the realization of I I, I don't want to say VCs because I think VCs just want you to work yeah. hard all the time, any, no matter what. But I th- I think that that more founders have talked to other founders and are like, no, you you kind of you need to like have a good balance um, mm-hmm. in in. You, you still got to work, don't get me wrong, like 15 hour days, like on like at least Monday through Friday, 16 hour hard. days. Yeah. yeah. But you don't have to do 18 hour days, like seven days a week, like you was probably previous thought. So I think there definitely has been a sea change in the way. Well, that well the, the lack of cash is going to force a bunch of companies to die. I, I, I read a quote we'll recently, get... I think it was from Benchmark or sorry, Bill Gurley who is no longer at benchmark in an in investing capacity, but who was for, the, I think, the first 10 funds and is not anymore. And he said, good judgment comes from experience. Experience comes from bad judgment. And, totally. And so the if, if I think back to previous companies and previous things that I did, I can think back to my own mistakes even when things went in the right direction and be like, wow, what a stupid decision that was. That hire at that time, God, what a mess. And and too much funding and wasting that funding is yeah. a, it, it, it is applicable to me because I raised a lot of money right. and some of it was wasted. But it's also, there's a bunch of people right now that are, that are thinking I'm going to be fine. And that are, and their companies will die and they'll be like, oh shit, well, I guess that was me. And they'll start over fresh and they'll be able to make the decisions the right way the second time. It like the the path is the path is unavoidable. That's the thing. Like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's you you can't you can listen to these podcasts and it's is ironic because I've got this book that I republished recently and I did some sort of media things for. What is it called? The book is called Flinch. And mm-hmm. it was first published in 2011, edited by Seth Godin. And it was it was put on 
Kindle as one of the only perpetually free books that you could have on Kindle, period. So hundreds cool. of thousands of people have read it, and a lot of people really liked it. Some people also hated it. That's what happens when you write books. But or have uh, podcasts. The, or have podcasts. <laughs> but the result is lots of people really, really liked it and wanted a print edition, and we did a print edition. And that's that's basically what I did it for. And now, at at the time when I wrote the book, I was like, hard work is inevitable, was my thought then. And you have to make hard decisions, and you there is no way around the tough work. And so there's no amount of podcasts that's gonna, that, that are going to solve your problems until you viscerally experience the mistake oh shit that i that mistake this when i thought i had product market fit was so wrong i brought the company in a completely wrong direction there's any set of them and you can listen to a huge number of podcasts but you can't avoid the learning without really feeling it viscerally yeah, the the big changes in your life. I totally agree. That's and that's why I'm I'm like personally glad that I went through feeling like I was such a rock star in my last company to going down to nothing. And I'm thankful for that. And hopefully that that will never happen to me again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the learnings you have from that, you you can't learn from reading a book or listening to a podcast. But I I do think listening Growing up now, like in the, in the tech industry, especially as a founder, I think listening to these podcasts, there's so many of them, which I think is great. Uh, there is so many niche ones that are great. That could be industry specific, which is great. Yep. You can you can learn so many. You you have such a big step up on like where when we started, um, you started even earlier than I did. Like where we did when there was no knowledge that was ever shared at all. Like you'd have to read books and they were not even based on your own industry or technology or right. anything like that. You had five startup books at that yeah. time. It, yeah, yeah exa- exactly. And they were all very general. And now you have like very specific things. And mm. and now it's like you listen to a podcast when you're, mm. I think the one one guy that was tweeting, what was he doing? He was like sanding his, his floor or something like that. I don't know if you saw the tweet that he was, he was like, he was commenting on one of our podcasts. He was listening to all of our podcasts. Oh yes, yes, and, yes. And, and yeah. he was sanding his his floor. And like, that's a gr- that's actually a great use of time because you're yeah. you're actually learning while you're doing something it's that actually, you just yeah. have to it, do. Yeah, that is. And I I've I all speaking of types of learning, one of the things you figure out is you you have to absorb different information in different modes and different times of your day. So, for example, some people are night owls. I'm not. I lose productivity. Same, me too. In before the sun goes down, and typically, and so, you know, there's a few hours in the day where I'll be, uh, maybe I'll need to make a meal or I'll need to be away. Maybe I'm driving, running an errand, and so that becomes my podcast time or my audiobook time. And so you just, I, I've completely changed modes from. You need to just push through to find an easy way for you, whatever your motive. Yeah. And if you figure that out, yeah. right, then that's when you can be like, oh, actually, I didn't need to. It's the same version of the feedback where people say, don't work on your weaknesses and making them better. Just working on making your strengths even strengths better, better than they are. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and so when the five million ideally 
allows you to support your the founders so that the strengths can be best utilized. Yeah. But it's not so much, and five million doesn't even seem like that much to me. It is actually because you know I like you. I raised two million in my first it's round a, at this company. It's a hell of a lot of money. It's still a lot of think, money. Think yeah. of what you like. That that's a lot of money. Yes. Yeah. It's I we're out of proportion. We are. If anybody listens to us that, outside yeah. of building technology companies, is like five million bucks. Yeah. Jesus Christ. And five million personally is a lot of money, but in a in, in a startup, oh, yeah. no. it doesn't feel like it's like it's you haven't you you and I now I think feel that we haven't made it until our business is at twenty five million ARR or some number in revenue, right? And or until the equivalent where your business has raised a hundred million bucks and the unit economics are working and you're in a breakout trajectory. Yeah. It's all those things independently can be possible and you still can not have made it, it turns out. So I, I want to switch gears here for a second and turn it on to you. You 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 mentioned that you're coaching five founders right now. I'm curious for the listeners if you can kind of boil down are there any like common themes that you think that that these founders are asking you that you're giving advice on? that you could share with other people? Yeah, um, so that's a good question. I'll say, first of all, coaching is not advice. Sorry, right? Yeah, right. So, yes, it's, yes. so what we try yeah. to do as coaches, if you have any level of certification or anything at all, you, you kind of acknowledge that you cannot have all the answers spending one hour of your week in a business that requires the founder to spend 80 hours of their week in the business. Right. So you learn to be a really good person that queries the founder about certain things. And that said, I have an unusual combination of things, which is that I'm a coach and I'm a CEO at the same time of a, of right. a company, which oh, is of, rare. Of, of, of a coaching platform company. Of a coaching, not any, yeah, now it's more like a solopreneurship <laughs> platform, but we started with coaches, yeah. Oh, right, right, right. And, and <laughs> so I dog food while I built it. <laughs> right, right. It worked out. <laughs> and so first is, it's almost all first-time founders that I coach. Right. Sorry, it is for all first-time founders that I coach. It's almost all first-time CEOs. And that means that sometimes they'll just be like, well, what's the best way to build a board deck or what's the best relationship with a board? And I'll have to just tell them, right? Doing a querying mechanism where, you know, you traditional coaching would say, well, why do you feel that you yeah, need to you prove yourself or something? You know, so the answer is, is almost all the founders that I coach need feedback with fundraising, almost yeah. all of them. Right. And in almost all of these cases, I have definitely, I'll take credit for some of their ability, their ability to raise their round successfully. Okay. Almost all the time, because founders do not know how to talk to investors. Mm-hmm. In almost in almost any situation, sometimes they're good fundraisers and they're highly networked already. Great. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Sometimes they're not highly networked, but their companies are doing well. And sometimes they're not highly networked and their companies aren't doing well. And so, regardless of problem, yeah, you regardless, you have to find a way through to a fundraise, right? right? And so, talking to investors turns out to be. One one person called me a VC whisperer during a recent fundraise. And the reason why 
is because investors have a very specific way of talking. We haven't spoke about this on the podcast, no. but I, maybe you've noted it or maybe you haven't, is that they, they talk in extreme generalities because in all of their language that they, that they use with, with CEOs or founders, they always try to be exceptionally non-committal. Mm. And, and so this will, how will this manifest itself? And by the way, sometimes I talk like a VC now because I've spoken to so many of them. Mm. One, one thing will be like, instead of saying, well, do you want to invest? They will say, do you like it? And if, if, even if it's not even, do you like it? But they'll, they'll back it out even, so, even more to something even more non-committal, which is to say, are you leaning in? And so all Wait, these- the investor will say this to the founder? The founder will They'll say speak this. to each other this way. Okay. And they will speak to a founder in this way. Mm -hmm. And and if, if founders don't know how to talk the way that a VC talks, I think that it does them a certain level of disservice. Mm. And this is because there is a big, do you want to invest is either a yes or no to a founder, but do, you, do I want to invest as an investor is actually like a 10 or 20 step psychological process for an investor, right? And you know this, right? right. right? But, and, and so they- they have found language to be soft all the time. And if you use hard language on them, then they actually like recoil. And so this is one of the top things, because you asked me, what is it one of the top things that I teach founders yeah. on a regular basis? And the answer is, is in order to maximize the opportunity for fundraising, I not only help them with their board decks and help them with other things, but I also teach them to use this insanely soft language stuff that they do. So you yeah, think they, using soft language on them is better than trying to get a hard answer? It's incredibly, them. it's incredible. It's much more effective. And so what's an example from a recent fundraiser? So, so, so you'd be like, are you leaning into this, my yeah. company? Yeah. <laughs> In, you, I, I'll explicitly use language like that. And I'll teach, I'll, I'll say to them, I'll say to the, the founder, oh, you just got a, an email from someone and they said, yeah, we're actually, we're, the partnership is speaking and it's been two days and you haven't heard back about the partnership. So they haven't said yes, but they haven't said no either. And I said, okay, very interesting. You also had this interest from this other investor. Then you should email the first investor, but the, from the partnership, you should say something like momentum is building with my, with my fundraise. Mm -hmm. If it is presuming it's true, I always tell people to say the yeah, truth. Never, of course. never, never say, never but lie. It, it, you won't say things are getting hot. No. Right. Instead you say, I have some momentum building here. I can catch you up if you like over a five minute call. Let me know what time works for you. And there will be instantaneous. It's just one example. I'm making it up as I go, but a, the CEO will be like, oh my God, they responded instantaneously. What the hell happened? What did you do? Right. And the answer is, is I, I use the language that VCs use on them right. and they understand it better than regular people language. Can we go through a real life example that I actually went through this week? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So tier one VC reached out to me as an inbound. They are a partner. Okay. They are, they reached out, I think, and also I think to demystify VC like there's a number of different things that VCs have at their disposal. 
they could see all their metrics. If you're a consumer company, they see credit card data from all yep. the other people. Mm-hmm. Same with traffic the, data, traffic data, all that. Yep. So they could kind of see that, or and they also taught they, they they could scan the web and see what different like applications people yep. are using, all that. And so there's a lot of signals that they could see that oh, this company's getting traction. So yep. I had a, a partner reach out to me, mm-hmm. um, which is unusual that I didn't know from like a tier one firm that I, that I actually know other partners there, but this is somebody that is going deeper in our industry. Yep. And this, they, they reached out, this would be for us a really massive growth round. Sure. So it, it'd be a step above where we're at right now. Uh-huh. They brought, so I, I, I just met them in person and they wanted to meet in person and they, I'll, I'll go through everything. So it was, they scheduled the meeting as a coffee meeting. Mm-hmm. It was a very informal, went into one of the offices. They just wanted to kind of hear my story. They knew everything about me, um, mm-hmm. of course, and the company and, and all this. And they had a, a really great like idea of the industry that we're in and where we kind of like play into this. And as I kind of told my story and I was like, I was like soft pitching it. Like, sure. of course, like of course. As, as you yeah, always see, yeah, you always always have to. And they were getting more excited and excited mm. and excited. And I don't know. I'll stop there and, yeah, and yeah. just analyze what, what do you think? If okay. the the level of interest, what what yeah. what goes through like a VC's head at that time? Why do they reach out? What are yeah. they trying to do? All these different things. So my first thing that I would do immediately is I would say, Are you looking at a deal in my space? That's the first thing that I immediately do. Because I assume that there is a legitimate money-making reason why they're reaching out. And I want to I want to check off that they're looking at someone else in my space right away, immediately. Okay. Then the next thing that I would do, by the way, I, if I'm coaching you through this process, we're just talking through examples. You go through this very exciting meeting. It's with a tier one VC. It's for a growth round. They seem They seem compelled. I would tell you immediately reach out to five other investors. And the reason that I would do this is that just my experience of having raised a bunch of rounds and big ones and hard ones and easy ones and small ones is deals never happen in a vacuum. They happen when there is pressure. And I would deliberately exert pressure on the deal by talking to other people on purpose. Right. And then I would then say, hey, thanks for the call. It was a great call. You got you guys, you guys, y'all motivated me to speak out to, to speak to some other people that I know have been enthusiastic in the past. Yep. Let me know if you want to pursue. No big deal. And I would act deliberately disinterested. <laughs> Love it. That's great advice. <laughs> and so th- this does this sound this is salesmanship? Yeah, right? of course. And by the way, everything that I've done is 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 hard won experience to a degree from and and actually i would say that the most hard won experience that i have is that i used to treat investors like they were my friends right and that's because they are friendly you always are like they are like they're acting friendly the way that other people act friendly they want to be friends no that is not true they are friendly because it is part of their job description 
Yes. And they want to warm up to you in case you are a great company. They want to shot at your thing, which is reasonable, by the way, and professional and a good idea for them. But founders take so much, put so much effort into their companies. And then when an investor comes calling, and this is a good example, you're more experienced than the average. Yeah. They'll, they'll be like, oh my God. And I, Lord knows I want to be liked. Like one of the reasons I'm a, I'm a founder is because nobody fucking gives me a fucking a shot out in the real world unless I go <laughs> and I go take it. Right. <laughs> and so when someone says they like me, I'm like, oh my God. But then what, the, what founders tend to do is they tend to drop all defenses and, and right. they, right. they will especially do this if they're first time founders and especially somewhere around the, I have $5 million raised area because right. they, they did a seed and their seed was easy and they think that their series A will be easy. No, that's and it not is true. not. And series Except B, for yours. Yeah. Except for yours, Kevin. Mine was <laughs> at, not easy at all. At ship, at ship. Uh, uh, ship it was. Yeah. Yeah. My, my last company was not at yeah. all, even, even though that I had a track record, but that's besides the point. So, okay. Going, going further into this example. So this, mm -hmm. this is a little bit of an exception because I, I know like right now. So again, we're in the middle of May, 2023, this would be like a really big growth check. And mm -hmm. I know that I also asked, I, I was like, When's the last check that you you, you guys as a growth fund of wrote? Of course, yes. And they were like, "Oh, we we wrote a secondary into extremely mm -hmm. hot company. I won't say it was. Yeah, over the last year. Um, okay. <laughs> wow. The chances mm -hmm. of this yeah. deal getting mm -hmm. done, yeah, right at this moment, mm -hmm. are so slim. Yes, because. Mm -hmm. What the, the people, and, and maybe I'll just tee this up for you, but the, the people, what entrepreneurs don't realize is that it's not even that one person that makes the decision. It's the whole partnership. So everybody needs to love us. So, 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 so talk about that. So, so yeah. my feeling was, was like, okay, I get, we had one deal. It was a secondary of a super hot company. That's all the whole growth fund has done in like <laughs> a multi- like yeah. what top like tier VC, like yeah. my, my spidey sense is like, mm -hmm. this is not probably going to happen. Yeah. Like talk, talk people through how deals actually get done maybe, or however so, you so, want. Yeah. So now I'm this. like, now I'm, so if I'm the, the coach in this, in this portfolio company CEO, now I'm like, okay, we'll just go back to building. Like that this call was, this call is not going anywhere. <laughs> Deliberately, please do not spend and and people like, like it, it is by far the most common thing is people thinking investing is is just a factor of being liked in the moment. And just because they like you in the moment, I got a reach out that was very nice from a good fund I heard, and it was a general partner there, and it's a person who is good, right? And they wanted me no 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 but like how many of these emails are they sending per year like yeah. every day okay maybe right. every week you know and so so like you're maybe it's, it's not that it's not authentic it is authentic they looked at it and they go this company is growing which we are and they're like i want to talk to them and they're enthusiastic but the the average vc is going to do one to two deals per year yep and so if an entire growth fund 
of the entire like, yeah that's four it. four mm-hmm. gps like they did one deal over the last to, two like... to be exceptional when you're not <laughs> the difference between you and me is you were you were actually such a hot company that you got just ptsd from being a hot company and you're like i need substance that was your yeah extreme it's not an overreaction it's a great reaction yeah. mine was everyone ignores me all the time i'm gonna have to work super hard non-stop to get every deal and the result oh i know was, that now i yeah. and that, my, that's given the market conditions that we're in that that is definitely i i don't think that i'm the, the and also in the industry that we're in we're not mm-hmm. the hot company or like there that's, are none. Yeah. that there, there are none but it was just really interesting to, to see that but then here okay so here are some other follow-ups follow-up was i shared some some top level revenue numbers with mm-hmm. them. Yeah. They're like, this is definitely in our range. They started <laughs> talking val- valuation right out of the gate. Okay. Yeah. And also the, bringing on like next steps and they want to mm-hmm. get into their actual process right now. Like, w- what, are, what are your thoughts on well, all I, of that? I'll, I'll be candid about like, in a in a mini format about I've so many ways that I've been seduced the way you're you're seduced right now. How many of them have led to a term sheet? Zero. And so the, I remember my specific one from my last company was Google Google not Google Ventures sorry Google Capital. Yeah. And so there are two funds at Google that most people listening to would know this. One is Google Ventures. They write yes. small checks. Yes. Go, uh, and you have Google Capital that writes $500 million checks. Yes. And so I was speaking to Google Capital and I was getting the same song and dance. And, you know, they brought me to the battery and talked to me and all these things that we had dinner and blah, blah, blah. And and it's just like I, disco- I discovered that being liked is just not like their job is to get you to open up to them. And right. give as much data unilaterally to them and to no one else. And so anytime that you do that, you are giving them just the ability to say no faster. Right. Right. And so I would I would just never again would I ever talk to an investor and open any level of metrics huh. at all until I was talking to two or three other people at any given time, which is which is why I run processes now. Like now so, I just run a process. I just fill up my calendar and I'm like, I'm going to talk to 20 people, you know? So, so the reason that I did that is because I knew that we, we, we are not raising that round right now. Mm-hmm. And I was yeah. just like, kind of also we're in like this stalemate, like these growth funds are not at all writing checks. Sure. And so I was just kind of curious on, are they? And like, by the like, way, Kevin, you're, you, it may turn out that you, you were, they will do this, and, and you right. are that hot. Right. I, I don't fucking know. I'm your investor, but I'm not on your board, right? I don't. I don't know a single thing about it. So, so, or you found the person, <laughs> and they have been like, you know what? I've been looking to do one of these one of these companies for that, a long that, that's time. That's what it actually was. Yeah, yeah. they're like, and I've been, I've been like, studying this industry. That, yeah. That's another thing, actually, for, for anybody listening. That's Bill Gurley, that, by the way. That's Bill Gurley going back to it. That is total that benchmark Uber, for that's sure. That's what he was. Yes. Right. Yes. Yeah. 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 There, there's, there's a lot of people that, so there's, yeah, the, 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 the VCs or it could even be a principal, honestly. Like, I, 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 I actually don't, like, our, our A got done from a principal 
that just did a lot of research in our area mm-hmm. and was like, and then brought the partner in and like, then the partner just got up to speed so quickly. And I was so impressed. And like, then we did our, a, this was at, at, at Airhouse. And so like, I definitely, I don't like the idea of founders kind of just not taking meetings with like principals or like non partners. Yeah. I'd really don't like that advice. I think YC gives that advice. I don't mm-hmm. think that that's actually smart because a lot of the time, like, especially if you're not in like a hot industry, mm-hmm. uh, it really takes some convincing of the whole partnership. So it's got to be like somebody mm-hmm. that's been doing work in this area for the last year. It's like mm-hmm. they've been evaluating all the different companies because they also know maybe maybe they're a tier two or tier three or whatever, or maybe they're a tier one VC and they know mm-hmm. that there's going to be some like massive like opportunity like there is in real estate or like in my in my industry it's like it's like fulfillment warehousing like why hasn't there been like a technology play on that and so you'll get somebody that has done a lot of research that maybe not be like the deciding partner but they're actually able to be really excited and then get the partners yes like they they have the buy-in from the partners and then get them really excited and I think that it is not the right thing to do, not to take some of those meetings. And that's what I kind of got from from the meeting that I, I had. And the reason that I'm just like being super open and honest, because I think like real world examples are like really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, to be clear, we're not raising, this would be like a, a way over extension. Like I'd be, ra- I'd be doing the same thing if I can did it ship again. I'd be raising it like, just the same they offer the, it now the same multiple like this like on on revenue and all like the crazy things i'm I'm not gonna do this we're not at that stage but it's just it's interesting to take and, and sometimes you learn just a lot about the market and also mm-hmm. i want to know when is the for me like the the next stage for us is like the growth market like the series b market mm-hmm. c market yeah. when is that going to get unstuck and so i'm interested in taking meetings with people like yeah. that but for everybody else listening, I think you should take some of those meetings and just, oh, just kind of feel out. Yeah. Feel out and, that. and I, like, at the Series A at Breather was a principal, Steve Schlafman. Uh, at the Series C came yeah. into an associate. I believe in either, I believe in associates championing deals. And the best associates, especially from, the best associates in my mind, by the way, there's a little shout out to, they come from Insight Venture Partners. This is like a known thing. Especially if you have an associate from Insight Venture Partners that became something somewhere else, yeah, then that is someone who actually probably has a very good career trajectory, and they get they get listened to by the partnership because they're the one who does all the work, right? So, so I really definitely believe in having these conversations, and I'll have a conversation with anyone so long as it's respectful. Right. I had a really weird one the other week where someone called called me, and I took it, and they were I was like. They were like, how? I was like, how did you hear about us? And the guy said, I I can't tell you. Okay. <laughs> and so so you do <laughs> get weird, weird ones when you accept any random reach out. That's true. But, you know, so long as... It, 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 what YC encourages, and I think it's right, is not to get distracted by fundraising. Totally. And so literally treat them like, you know, the sirens in... in the Odyssey, Ulysses straps himself to the boat. Yeah. And he straps, he gets all his, his people to put in earplugs and then he straps himself to the mast of the boat so that when he hears the siren songs, right, 
that this is this is from mythology everyone this when he hears the siren songs the the sirens won't pull him off the boat and, he, and to his own death that is what the way you should treat him master right you can right. talk to them just treat it like it's a mirage in the desert right you know right i i, I will end on this because i think we're getting up on time here i think it's been a fun episode but i totally agree with like when you're actually when when somebody when you get an inbound like a true inbound that somebody actually wants to do the deal hmm. the likelihood that, that that person actually will do, do the deal is low yeah. but you should then leverage that to go yes. and start a process yes. with at least 4 to 5 people that's mm -hmm. exactly the way that i got my, the massive series mm -hmm. b round done at, at ship you need you need to create that FOMO in that investors, uh, other investors' heads that they're going to be missing out on something, mm -hmm. and it has to be also. You, you you there are some people that try to fake it, but like mm -hmm. you you can do that, and maybe if you're a, a pathological liar or yeah. something, you get away with it. But if you if it's actually like authentic, if somebody actually reached out and says, no, they really want to do this deal, mm -hmm. and I'm and then I start a process. With four other VCs, I'm like, no, somebody's like actually want to do this. Mm -hmm. It comes off so much more authentic, and I think that the likelihood the deal will will just come together is much higher versus like yeah. you trying to create something out of nothing, which I know some founders mm -hmm. do. But I, I completely agree with your strategy. It's, it, it, we close with this. I think you're right. It, the 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 best way is to have a a good company. The challenge is. And my, and my last company, all I had to do, it's like I was on an 18-month treadmill every 18 months. Boom. Right. It was like, so I, every 12 or 15, I had to raise. So it was like I was fundraising based on whatever the company looked like then. Right. But if you find yourself able to do the ramen thing and you're young and you're listening to this and you're saying, you know, I got to go out and build something, it's just make everything as cheap as you possibly can. Just oh, grind. God. And that way, you never in are on the treadmill that I was on, and burning two million dollars a month the way Kevin was. That's what I was doing. Yeah, you know. Instead, yeah, you don't... just be like, I have the power, and that is the best feeling when you have a good company, and you have lots of runway in the bank too. Like investors see that, they'll ask that. It's powerful. Like, it really is. So I think that's a good way to to end it. Hopefully, everybody enjoyed this two person episode, and. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye-bye.